Transpotting contains adult language, juvenile humor, and honest depictions of trans joy. Consume at your own discretion. I love, I love it. it. Everybody. Welcome to Transpotting. My name is Marcia. And I'm Celeste. And I'm Rev. We're really excited today because we have one of our most special, excited, and anticipated guests today. Uh, we have Robin today, and you may know her from Such Wonderful Tunes is the one that you literally just heard. <laughs> <laughs> Shadows in the Sun by Robin Shakedown is our <laughs> theme song. And so today we're talking to the person who put that all together and getting to know hey. her and her stuff. So hi, Robin. You want to say hi to everybody? Hi. And yes. Yourself? Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. Um, my name is Robin. I am indeed the uh, musician who did the Shadows and Sun theme song, and um, I'm very excited to be on this podcast. Well, this is going to be lovely. Um, how are my levels? I just adjusted my input. Uh, sounds really good to me. Okay. Good. How's rare. mine? Uh, Marcia, you sound glorious. As always. Celeste and Riv, I have not heard either of you yet. Hello. This is my this is my input. <laughs> Your input is perfect. Oh, we beautiful, love that. Beautiful. Fabulous, love glorious. I love it. I love Perfection. your your setup there with the I love it. Um <laughs> with the uh with the Japanese in the background and the Oh my god. I I I am gonna be completely honest with you. Thank you, but I have no fucking idea what that means. <laughs> I have no idea either. Actually it I looks more it. Chinese to me. Who knows? I mean, look, I got it like 11 years ago at this thrift store that was going out of business mm -hmm. um, near where I went to high school and I put it up and it's been there ever since so I, I never think about it you know it could be it worse looks it could good. be tattooed on your body cool. and you not know what it means so. exactly yeah. that would be a lot worse a whole lot worse I like the is that an Epiphone or a Gibson on your wall there? Uh, that is a River Special. Uh, I built that. Oh, it's a River Special. No shit. Yeah, I used to build electric guitars <laughs> when I was in high school cool. and college, and that is my favorite one I built. So, oh my goodness, I love it. Tell me about <laughs> it a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So obviously, Les Paul design, uh, custom mm -hmm. custom hardware, um, mm -hmm. humbuckers. You know, all the wiring is going to be the same as a Les Paul. Um, sure. but I really love to play around with the, the dark mahogany with like a cherry stain on it. And, um, I didn't build the neck because cool. the necks are way too, uh, require hard. a lot of equipment to make properly. Yes. So I definitely yes. bought that off eBay and then okay. bolted it on <laughs> and then had okay. to, uh, keep, uh, rerouting the cavity for the, <laughs> for the neck constantly until I got it just right. So don't look at okay. the back because there's some wood putty on the back of there's it. There's a bunch of I can <laughs> yeah, don't worry. The front looks <laughs> a lot beautiful of shims though, and shit so. in there. Yeah, exactly. Cool. I love it. Yeah, every time I see a Les Paul, I get really interested because I that's like one design I do not have. I've got. Uh, I'm gonna tell you right here, but that's about as that's about as electric as I get usually. So what? what can you tell me? Have? Yeah, what tell me what guitars you have? I'm really curious now. Oh my god. Okay, I've got um, <laughs> shit. I've got. Probably 20 of them here. Um, that's my telly. I've got a Rickenbacker 360 that I'm using very, very often these days. I've got this silver tone. Actually, do you mind if I get it? It's, I really want to show do. it off. Please do. It's got a big speed. Okay, hang on one second. so hard. Okay. 
Okay. Please, I know you'd podcast. be interested in this. <laughs> quality podcast. Welcome to Transpotting. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a beautiful guitar. Welcome to Transpotting. <laughs> And a guitar in your pocket. The guitar that no one can see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, subscribe to our Patreon and get early access and watch. Ooh, I didn't set that up yet. Yeah, gotta do that. I, I'm not too concerned about setting it up yet because I yeah. don't know if that will actually. We might have two or three people that are like, "Yeah, I'd love to," but I'm not expecting too much more than that. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I got a new job this week. You tell me oh, all shit. about your new job. Yes. I got a new job as a legal assistant. Oh, hi, Robin, you're back. Ooh. Oh, hi, so Robin, you're back. Hello. I am. Hello. So this is a Silvertone Telecaster. That's gorgeous. Um, oh, my God. It is not a Fender, but it is my baby. It's got a Bigsby on it. It's um like a real Frankenstein guitar. There's like Silvertone body, um, and I think a Silvertone neck as well, but it's obviously based on a Tele, and it's got um, Gretsch Filtertrons in it. Ugh. I know some of these ah! words. I know none of them, but that's okay. <laughs> I, will, I will soak up the glory because I am very impressed. Uh, yeah, thank yeah, you. I'm very impressed. Oh, yeah, same. I'm very impressed. I just don't know I just what it wish is. I knew more about it so I could be more that's impressed. <laughs> it's, you know, guitar shit. Guitar shit. <laughs> guitar nerds, you know. It makes, it makes noises, yeah. It makes noises when you plug it into the right amp. I'm from Atlanta, and um, I play a bunch of guitars. All at the same time. Like... Like 12. All at the yeah. same time. All That's actually time. my special skill. Um, they're all in this like big harness that I wear that can carry about seven guitars. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on if I'm wearing heels or not, I can take it up to eight. And then um, I'm and imagining it looks like a harp, yeah. and you just—it's very desperate <laughs> of you. It, it, it's they're all they're all horizontally mounted, and I just like I just like you know like. You can't see this if you're listening to the podcast, but the top one's like way up here. I'm holding my arms up above my head and I can't really look up at it. So I kind of have to do this one by feeling. And then you just move down to each guitar. Um, I'm picturing like Jimmy Page's double necked guitar, but just like a skyscraper of those. Right. This one's um, eight guitars or 16 if I use double necks. (laughs) Up to 16. I'm getting a very like Claudio Sanchez Coheed and Cambria guitar feel from this. There you go. Yeah. 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 Um, only a couple of them are pointy enough to to play Coheed and Cambria. Okay. Um, the rest are all going to be You have to have the... pointy guitars to play Coheed You and do. Cambria? If you're going to play any kind of metal music, the, it only works with a really pointy guitar. That's why those Flying V designs are so popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's true. Very There's pointy. A, um, yes, exactly. Riff just my seven held string. up. Um, yeah, and the more strings you have, actually, the the more metal you can get. Uh-huh. So if you're playing, like, really, really drop metal music, um, you can get up into, like, 12, 13, 14 strings sometimes. And I don't just strings. mean, like, a 12-string guitar. I, I mean, like, you know, 12 individually. This is bullshit. <laughs> Our whole podcast is kind of bullshit, so, like, let it fly. <laughs> oh, I will let the bullshit fly. No. <laughs> Um, how long have you been playing music then? Has it been your whole music? life? Yeah, yeah, it has. It really has. Well, I've been like taking piano lessons at least. Like my mom, I was one of those kids who their mom like puts them in piano lessons and mm-hmm. I didn't really get much from it, to be honest. Um, I think I played one piano recital. This is where I learned what the word recital meant, um, was at this piano recital. 
and I played This Land is Your Land, never playing more than two notes at the same time. I thought like the mark of a really good piano player was that you could play like two to three notes at once Mm -hmm. and like start forming chords. Um, And little did I know that like that's just like that's how you start playing piano (laughs) is you play multiple notes at once. Um, so I didn't really get a lot from piano lessons, but uh, but then I did like chorus and choirs and stuff. I was in church and um, oh, hey, and oh my god, in fifth grade I was in the DeKalb County Honor Chorus down here in Atlanta, wow. and uh, like for you know for like grade school kids and um, and I learned to harmonize by singing. I learned to like pick out harmonies while singing and. Um, and then I picked up guitar in seventh grade. And so I've been singing and playing guitar for that long, nice. approximately. Nice. And then writing music since college. And then um, playing professionally for the last 10 years or so. Nice. When you started writing music, what was the impetus for that? Sitting alone in my dorm room mm-hmm. and thinking to myself, I really wish I could be one of those people who sits alone in their dorm rooms and writes music. Because, <laughs> um, like, there's just something so ridiculously cool about that kind of aesthetic. I'm very aesthetic-driven, um, or at least I was in college. I love <laughs> and, that. Same. Right, right. <laughs> um, so I, I feel like sitting alone in my dorm room and um, just kind of, like, thinking, like, what would the person who I want to be be doing right now? And the answer to that question was usually writing a, at that point it was like blues music and like kind of slower rock and roll music. Um, And just like writing about things that I thought were deep, which was usually girls. And, um, and like, you know, how relatable, right. (laughs) And how unfair life was as a straight white guy. Um, (laughs) And uh, so I did that a lot. And um, I went to like bars as an underage person who couldn't drink and like would just kind of hang out and soak in the uh, soak in the atmosphere and be like, you know what? I really like this kind of singer songwriter atmosphere that I'm sitting in right now. And that just kind of grew um, and grew and grew. And eventually I joined some bands and started playing some solo shows and doing open mics and um, never really knew when to stop. Um, so that just kept on going for years and years and years. And now I've got, I've been in like a thousand different bands and I've written, like if I were to actually count five or six different albums under different names and identities Mm -hmm. and put them out on different platforms and just enjoyed every second of that. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Now I have a quick question. And it's something that I saw on your Instagram when you were talking about how several years ago there was somebody who was telling you that you'd never be able to lay down female vocal tracks without help. Can you (laughs) tell me more about that? Oh, my God. Um, Okay. This was very, very early in my transition Mm -hmm. um, before I was out to anybody. Oh, quick question. How long have you been transitioning for? Or when did you start? Oh, actually, yeah. So I started... um, I came out to myself probably about three years ago, and then I started hormones exactly two and a half years ago. So pretty recent still. I guess so. Um, Is is today your your 
Yesterday was yesterday. two and a half years. Oh my god! Yesterday, yeah, oh it was two and a half. So like, if, if you go by the timeline Congrats. that like you're, you know, I'm holding up air quotes here, but if you go by the timeline that you're fully transitioned after five years, um, I'm halfway done. Halfway there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah very exactly similar timelines, so that makes me very happy. Cool. I love that. Yeah. Um, congratulations to you as well. Oh, thank you. Okay, so this was very early in the transition. Um, when I was writing my first music kind of under the name Robin. Mm-hmm. Um, my my project name is Robin Shakedown. And that's kind of, that's now my band name. Um, it started out as being my Instagram name because I was listening to a song that started with the word Shakedown when I wrote, when I created the Instagram account. So it was just Robin, my name, dot the first word that I heard, which was Shakedown. Um, I was recording with a guy down here in Atlanta who I went to college with. And we... I was not out to him or anything. And I told him that I wanted some female vocals on this music, on some of these songs, um, one in particular. And he said um, that we'll be able to get, uh, you know, we'll get some female vocalists in here. And I like jokingly said, uh, oh, what, you mean I can't do it myself? And then he said, no, no, one thing I've learned is that if you want a female vocal, you have to get a female vocalist. You can't fake it. Um, and so like that just like stuck with me, like really, really hardcore. Like I wanted something about that just like rubbed me the wrong way. Like I really, really wanted to put a female vocal on my song, um, which probably drove my coming out a little bit. It like drove my desire to transition Mm -hmm. at that point. Um, and so I like worked on it and I took voice lessons and I took speaking lessons and I went to a lot of therapy and I did a lot of practice and, um, and you know, I feel pretty confident in my ability to convey a female vocal now. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I show off your songs to my friends, so. Oh, shit. Well, yeah, thank you. Same. I appreciate that. Same. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I remember when I first released that project that um, the first two EPs that I did under Robin Shakedown were called Bullet Baby and Cartoon Eyes. And I don't really push them too much. And it's because it's a dude singing it. Like, it just sounds like a guy in my mind, like, Mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't really, I hadn't gone through a lot of training at that point. And, um, it's, it always felt difficult to take myself seriously as a trans girl musician. If I couldn't sound like a stereotype, not stereotypical, but if I couldn't sound like an archetypical girl while singing. That makes sense to me. What were some of your, um, exercises, if you don't mind me asking? Sure. I, um, read, Rain Wilson's autobiography, The Bassoon King, out loud over Zoom to my voice coach over the course of like six months. Um, We would, well, because I needed something to read. I needed like something, some kind of material. There's the, the, the heat from fire, fire from heat thing from Trans Voice Lessons YouTube. And then there's the Rainbow Passage. Um, which is often used as, if y'all are familiar with the Rainbow Passage at all, it's a passage that is used to kind of, um, in speech therapy and speech pathology, it's used a lot because it, I think it demonstrates a lot of the phonemes that are used often in English. It's, um, I can't remember how it starts off the top of my head. But it's a it's a description of what rainbows are and what they've been used for in history and like what different cultures would would use them for. But you essentially the idea is you read this passage and it's supposed to be a demonstration of all the different sounds that you can make in English. 
Um, it's a couple of paragraphs long, but I would do that until it became kind of repetitive. And then I needed a, a, a different piece of material to use. And so I used Rain Wilson's autobiography because it was what I had in my car right there. I would do my, excuse me, I would do my voice training in my car alone because that's, that's where you fucking do it. You don't do it in front of anybody because it's embarrassing as hell. So embarrassing. Oh my it God. is. Oh my it's, God. It's the worst. It's the worst. Oh my God. It really is. Um, and there's a lot of shit to get over there psychologically. Mm-hmm. But once you get over that, it's it becomes a lot easier um, to take yourself seriously. But in the meantime, I was alone in my car on Zoom talking to my uh, voice coach. Her name was Kira, and she works with the Voice Lab in Chicago. And I'm forever grateful to her because she gave me a judgment-free environment to practice speaking in. Um, so I read Rain Wilson's autobiography. And I would sing a lot. I would, um, I'm really into Tom Petty and I've always been really into Tom Petty. Um, Love that. And so I would sing along to Sirius XM channel 31, the Tom Petty radio channel uh, in my car, just because I know those songs inside and out. And I would add this female harmony, this higher harmony or this lower harmony sometimes to his vocals um, just for hours and hours and hours on road trips or driving to and from work. And I would just do that. Um, it was easy with music that I know. It's a lot easier with music that you know inside and out, forward and back, because you don't have to think about it. You can just pick those harmonies and add them and listen to yourself and record yourself. Those were the two biggest things that I did. Rain Wilson and Tom Petty played integral parts in my transition. Um, lovely. I love that. <laughs> you heard it here first, and trans femmes. If you want to feminize your voice, read Rain Wilson's yeah. autobiography out loud. Rain Wilson's autobiography, <laughs> Every day. The Bassoon King. Every day. We'll do it for you. But it takes persistence. <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot of persistence. You just got to keep at it. And it will not be easy at first. And it will not sound good at first. And if you can get over that, if you can give yourself a little bit of grace, you'll get through that. There's a finite amount of practice that you have to go through. But once you've been through that finite amount of practice, things get better. And then the other thing I did was I got a customer service job. I got a job uh, facing customers and um, it kind of turned into a game of how many times a day can you get mammed versus surd. And, uh, you know, once you're once you're doing that, it's, um, you know, the, the losses become less devastating and the winds become more and more numerous. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, once the losses stop being devastating, it becomes a lot easier to practice your voice. But those losses are devastating at first. Well, I'm excited because I just started I, a customer service position. Hell yes, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be a legal assistant at a law firm. No shit. Yeah. So, so what does that fun. consist of? So I think it's mainly like secretary work. So like talking okay. to the customers and like scheduling things and making sure that stuff is working out. Okay. So customer facing position, but then also a lot of organizing and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. I dig I'm it. excited because I'll finally have a full-time job again. <laughs> Congratulations. Ooh. Is it full-time? Mm-hmm. Do you have insurance and everything through it? No, but I have insurance through something else, hopefully. So we'll see. Cool. Yeah. Insurance yeah. is another one of those bitches. I know. Because it's too expensive. The American <laughs> dream, baby. The yes. American dream. You work 40 hours a week and you get hardly anything in return. I know. Oh, I, I don't make me get on a soapbox. I will do it. 
Oh, we haven't had I a soapbox yet today. Too. Get on your soapbox. We haven't? Yeah, I have not. I haven't had a good soapbox oh, in a long time. No, you don't want that one. <laughs> I could. Well, we want to encourage you as much as we can. <laughs> we can do a different soapbox. That'll be fine. Yeah. All right. We just need to have one soapbox every episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it was actually on your podcast that y'all were talking about where the term soapbox came from. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if this was maybe a couple of weeks ago. Um, somebody was on a soapbox. Riv, I think it was you, actually. It's usually It's, it's always, always Riv. It usually <laughs> it's is. Usually, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it came from uh, people needed to... It's the same as soap opera, actually. Um, soap companies needed vehicles through which to sell their product to through which to sell their soap and so they created these soap operas as forms of advertising there would be these little dramas um and in between the plot points of the drama they would sell soap i've heard that actually I learned that recently mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and soap used to come in these boxes and people would stand on them to yell at people <laughs> i guess it does <laughs> I always found it weird that soap comes in cardboard boxes. Like nowadays, like you go to the store and you get a soap because like, I don't know. I feel like soap should come in something that's a little bit more self-contained. If you get a cardboard box wet and by the way, Mm -hmm. you only use soap in wet places. I mean, you're not ever going to not use it in a wet place. Um, Not scourging or kink shaming anyone here though. And no, 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 no. When... When you use soap for its cleaning purposes, I mean. There you go. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it The cardboard gets all shitty and, like, soapy, and you have to throw it away. And then you have to go get a soap dish. I feel like there should be, like, a self-contained soap dish that comes with soap. I was never one for bar soap. Isn't it usually, like, a waxed cardboard, though? So, like, it's a little bit more water-resistant? You might be right about that. I've never had a good experience, though, with um, soap packaging. I don't really buy bar soap anymore, so I don't really think about it. I like to go to my local farmer's market and get the little circle (laughs) soaps that they make out of their scraps. Uh Oh, I've never seen those. There's there's like a lot of um, artisanal handmade soap around here. And so they'll do like their fancy bars and those will sell for like seven or eight dollars. But okay. if you just get the scraps that they collect and put into a ball, those are like three or four bucks. And they smell amazing. And it's just the same thing. It's just not in a fancy bar. That <laughs> reminds me a lot of smoked salmon. How so? You get the, the smoked salmon scraps from the grocery store. Um, oh, yes. Instead of like, you know, the ones I'm talking about, like the, the smoked salmon pieces that d- weren't good enough to make the final cut yeah. of like the big salmon filet. Mm-hmm. You get those Unintended. really, really good. Uh, yes. I can't picture this. Really? I don't. I, I, I don't literally ate this right before I came on the show, actually. Those smoked salmon pieces? <laughs> yeah. Those odds and ends? Yeah. Potatoes, you know, they're just little pieces. Uh-huh. They're still mm-hmm. yummy was- as hell. They I really was literally fire. at Trader Joe's earlier today. Like, I don't I, I don't know if I've ever seen these before. Hold on, hold on. Marcia, <laughs> were you at Trader Joe's recently, too? No, y'all live in a bougie place. My closest Trader <laughs> okay. Joe's is like an hour and a half away. <laughs> You're the only one of us who hasn't been to Trader Joe's today. <laughs> Mine's like eight minutes away. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. I guess we are bougie. Yeah. Marcia, yeah. I know you live in you live in Idaho, right? Yeah, that's right. Oh, cool. So, um, like, literally, Washington is like ten minutes away from me. That's neat. Mm-hmm. Are so you I'm, right on the time zone border? Uh, no, the time zone 
Northern Idaho is actually Pacific time. Southern Idaho is mountain time, which is kind of weird. That's nuts. That blows my mind. It's kind of strange, but... That's very strange. With the new job that I get, I'm looking into getting a place in Washington. And if I can do that, I can get health care over there, which will be really Oh, nice. cool. Congratulations. Thank you. You'll be in Western Washington. Yeah. I'm sorry, Eastern Washington. Eastern. Yes, that's what I meant. <laughs> I get yeah. those mixed up every time, too. My my brother and uh, my sister-in-law are moving to Eastern Washington in just oh, a little bit. Spokane. Oh, yeah. Spokane. I was just yeah. up there yesterday. I have family up Whoa, there. Whoa, doing what? Uh, so Whoa. we had a queer art walk in Spokane as part of Pride, and one of oh, my cool. friends was curating an exhibit, and another friend was in the exhibit. So we went up there and just kind of hung out all evening, and it was really fun. Neat. Just a bunch of queers. I've heard that Spokane is more on, like, despite Washington being a relatively liberal state, I've heard that Spokane is more on the conservative side. Is there any it truth is, to that? Which is also why the queer community there is kind of tighter. Okay. Because when you're in like a more conservative place, you tend to cling to the people who you can trust more. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So you have a tighter, tighter knit queer community. Which, and honestly, we have, we have people like traveling all over. Like we had people traveling from Arkansas and like uh, the East Coast over here for Whoa. this art walk and stuff. And That's so, cool. but like talking to them and they're like, and other people who have lived here and then moved away and other people who've lived in other places and then moved here. And they're like, I think this is the best queer community I've ever been a part of. No shit. In and, Spokane. In like Spokane and then like this area of the Palouse, which is Whoa. where I live. And I mean, you've got um, Gaseball. So we've right got Gaseball. We've got gay right Baseball, <laughs> which is lovely. Mm-hmm. And I think there's just something really like lovely about this kind of rural queer community mm-hmm. because... There's like no posturing. Stick together. Yeah. There's like, you know, come as you are. There's no posturing. There's no like trying to impress each other. It's just like we're here. We're here to support each other. We're queer. We're all weird and freaks, and uh, and and we we love each other no matter what kind of thing. And That's just, lovely. Yeah. It sounds like a really genuine brand of queerness it as is. opposed to the queer aesthetic that yeah, a lot exactly. of city folks yeah. seem to cling to. Mm-hmm. That rainbow pride thing. Yeah. Exactly. Which, that's fine too, but it's also kind of like, now that I kind of know how lovely this is, it's hard for me to want mm-hmm. to leave too. Completely understandable. That makes sense. Completely understandable. It's just because of the people. I'll probably have to leave someday, but I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Well, if you're no, ever I'm... in my area of the woods in Washington, come say hi. Or I'll meet you somewhere. We'll come say hi together. We literally had um, over the weekend, we no, before the weekend, we actually had um, a trans crosswalk painted. And so oh, far, cool. it, to my knowledge, it hasn't been destroyed so far. Oh, hell yes. Uh, but yeah, it's a very, it's yeah. a very queer when town, the... very trans town, which is great. Um, Whoa. I mean, that, I, that I'm told of, I haven't really found queer places to hang out <laughs> yet. Okay. Uh, but also I'm very autistic and don't want to meet new people usually yeah. uh, in person. Uh, <laughs> Completely relatable. Yeah. I get it. I get it. The social exertion that that takes is mind boggling. And to people who thrive on that kind of shit, I have no idea how they do it. Um, it's, I think the violinist, it's innate. It's innate. Like yeah. it, you're born yeah. with it. Cause I'm that way. I, that's really? part of the reason that I started this that? podcast is just because I love talking to people and the more chances that I get to do it, the better. Marcia. Yeah. Look at you. Two social butterfly. I love yeah, Marcia's it. our social butterfly. Riv and I 
hate people. <laughs> hate so. people. I would say Celeste and I are the social media butterflies. Okay. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Okay. Because I yeah, don't post I know, on social I'm... media near as much as you two. I am actually talking with people. <laughs> well, that's way too much but, energy. Right. I don't know. If there's no social media digital footprint, did it actually happen? That's what I often ask myself. When I go out and like meet people like in bars, mm-hmm. I often think this isn't real because this isn't happening on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so like admittedly, I was I was previously in like rural East Tennessee and mm-hmm. like you talk about your rural pride. This was so not queer that there wasn't even a tight knit queer community. So <laughs> Jesus. It, yeah. There was a lot of so, Jesus though. There was a lot of Jesus. A lot of Jesus. So you were in East Tennessee. You were in East I, Tennessee. Mm-hmm, yeah. What, what there, part were you in? Were you like near Chattanooga? I was. I was. No. 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 I was thirty minutes east of Knoxville. Okay. Previously. Oh, so east, east, east Tennessee. East, east. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, it's actually yeah. not too far from me. What's the community like in yeah. Atlanta? It's fine. <laughs> it's, you know. <laughs> There's it's like, Atlanta. It's Atlanta. <laughs> like, there's, all right, it's gay as hell. Um, there's a, yeah, no, it's wonderful in that regard. Um, but, like, it's a lot of posturing. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of rainbow capitalism. You know, I live in Midtown, which is the gayest part of the gayest city in the South. And it's full of rainbows, but people don't really remember or understand what any of it actually means. Um, you know, they, they don't pay attention to the danger inherent with being uh, queer, much less with being trans, much less with being out and trans. Um, and in that way, it's very, very lonely. A lot of times there is a small community of trans women here who, kind of met somewhat recently at a series of trans women picnics that we started down here. Oh, that's a lovely idea. Yes. Um, they do them in a lot of different cities. I went to my first one in Oakland, California last summer. And um, the girl who I went with, Mia Byrne, who is now, um, by the way, a wonderful country artist, like one of the first out trans country artists in the world, Give her a listen, Mia Byrne. Um, she encouraged me and a couple of my friends down here to start a trans woman's picnic. Just a kind of come as you are, but keep it strictly limited as much as you can to trans femmes, to trans women. Um, because there is a lot of bullshit that we have to put up with and we we don't have those safe dedicated spaces for trans women that exist in a lot of other places like in new york city um so we tried to kind of create that and what i found comes from that is a lot of um clickishness a lot of kind of infighting um and i think that's just inherent with being a trans girl in general especially a newly out newly minted trans girl there is a lot of clickishness there's a lot of that kind of like middle school drama that we never got to experience for ourselves 
um, kind of makes itself, you know, kind of rears its head for the first couple of months or the first couple of years. And it's hard to, you know, I've, I've experienced a lot of really hard. Yeah. And you know, it's, I see it on Instagram too. I see it pretty much everywhere. There's a trans femme community. Um, but after, and this is actually something I'd love to talk about. Um, do y'all ever find that after a few years, you either become a very visible, outspoken trans icon, or you vanish into obscurity and you just kind of stop existing publicly anymore? Yes. What 100% is, yes. Like I understand why, I think, um, because it is so exhausting to be out and trans. It is so, so exhausting to be constantly under that external microscope and under that scrutiny. And like, what can we do about that? I guess is where I'm, is where I'm getting here. Like, is there any way to sustainably have a trans woman community? You know, how, how do we do that? How do we continue having that? I'd like to plug our discord really quick. (laughs) yeah yeah we have a cute community on there that's true we do have a it's i would say it's uh majority trans femme but all are welcome Mm -hmm. yeah i think and how do we how do we get to this discord if we want to join it there will be a link in the episode description thank you marcy freaking lovely (laughs) um I think that's a really good question. I've noticed that too of the, you kind of have two branches of people. Well, there might be more than two because there's people who pass really well and decide to just go stealth and not let anybody know that they are trans. And after a certain amount of time, the only people who might know they're trans are their very, very closest friends and nobody else would know that. There's also people who have problems with passing and so are never able to go stealth even if they want to. And they tend to stand out more and face different kinds of challenges than other people. And then there's those who could go stealth but choose not to because to them it's more important to be able to take a stand and let people who might not be as privileged as they are have a fighting chance and stand up for those people. So then the question is like, seems like what's the right path to take? What's the, what's the most noble? And I think that's going to be to a take. different answer for each person. I think it matters. It depends. Everybody's got their own answer to that. I mean, it's such an interesting dichotomy of how that splits because there's a certain amount of like, you need to take care of yourself and like, Obviously, there's a want to be safe and feel safe wherever you're at. And I also think that just depends on where you're living. Um, I live in an ultra queer, ultra like I leave my house and go to the grocery store. It's like a 95% chance I'm going to see another trans person like that's visibly trans and Mm -hmm. like they seem okay with that. And that's cool. That's where I'm at is a safe place to do that, but mm-hmm. most places aren't. Yeah. And so there's that drive to, you know, safety, but then there's also that, I know for myself, I 
try my best to be the person that I would have needed when I was like a teenager and then even getting into early college and all that kind of stuff, the kind of person that I would have wanted to see out. Yeah. So I, th- I think I passed fairly well at this point. I'm like a year and eight months into this. Yeah. Um, and I don't, that's not always my goal. Like, I don't know. I like the ability to appear trans sometimes on like at work um, on my name badge, which we used to like scan to get in and out. Mm-hmm. I have a trans flag pinned to it. And so like, I go to the bathrooms at work and there's a trans flag hanging around my neck. And like, for me, it's really important to be it's visible. Literally like as visible as you can get. That's like yes. just sort of draping yourself in a trans yes. flag. That signal it was, trans. Right. it was really important to me that right. like, I get to be visible. And if that's a problem for you, go fuck yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Also, it allows people to be like, oh, I do know a trans person and have a little bit yes. of space and empathy to that. Yes. yes, and that's something that the general public, you know, the the cis normies, if you will, mm-hmm. so like desperately lack. Like there is the only representation a lot of them are exposed to is late nineties, early two thousands Adam Sandler movies, and that is oh not the best. That is like yeah. Yeah. probably the worst. it is literally the worst portrayal of this community as oh. a whole. You know, like if if cis people who were otherwise unaware of trans people would realize that every single day if they're going out into public and if they're in a relatively populated place, they're going to interact with at least a few trans people every single day and not even know it. I was going to say, even here, so I was um, a long time ago a guest on a podcast called Queer Nundrum. Shout out Gary and Holly, my friends. Yeah. And they... um, uh, they're both cis, but they're both queer. And they mm-hmm. were telling me that I was the first trans person they'd ever met. And I was no like, shit. what? No, I'm not. <laughs> I was like, no, you're not. Which <laughs> no. is the first you knew. Yeah, absolutely. And we got to have a yeah. conversation about that. And it's like, and actually Gary was saying this too on later. He was like, if you think you don't know any trans people, you're wrong. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. And and a lot of that is because of that first path that people take. Mm-hmm. Once they're able to pass past a certain extent, they kind of vanish. Well, we could talk a little bit about the history of um, like trans people and people's goals and stuff. Sure. And how that's kind of like shifted a little bit. I don't know how familiar y'all are with this. I would love to learn because I am horribly, horribly ill-versed in this kind of thing. <laughs> I know a little bit, but I'm sure there's people out there who will be like, oh, you're wrong. So if you're wrong, leave a comment and review, like, and subscribe. <laughs> yes. We need a trans historian on here. Yes, that so. would be lovely. Um, <laughs> but I know that earlier on when transgender people were still using the term transsexual to describe themselves, it was very much the goal to blend in with society. The idea was that you didn't want anybody to know, like going stealth was always the ultimate goal because... That was the kind of culture that people lived in. So mm-hmm. if you tried to pretend like, hey, there wasn't that room, there wasn't room for gender nonconforming people. Mm-hmm. There was room for people who were male and there was room for people who were female. If you were trans, you needed to pick one or the other. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit more flexibility in that now because I think people have realized like 
you know, male and female are really just arbitrary distinctions that are cultural, you know, byproducts of whatever culture you're in at the time, culture, cultural strong constructs, as we say. Mm-hmm. And, but I think that that kind of like idea and goal, like you have to pass to be trans, you have to want to transition, you have to do it medically, like that medicalist ideas. And you see that still with a lot of our trans elders, like Buck Angel, who is kind of says some transphobic things sometimes and um, doesn't have room in his worldview for people who might be experiencing gender in a different way from him. So I think that having more visibility and having, like, more, we're definitely more visible today. More people know about trans people. If you talk to somebody in the 80s or 90s and ask them if you know what a trans person is, they might think transvestite, you know. What in the hell? What in the hell is that? And... But now, you know, being such a hot button topic, polit- political issue now, there's so many more people who are visible with it too. And now the goal isn't so much to pass or the goal isn't so much to go stealth. The goal is to just be able to live as who you are and to live authentically. And I think that that honestly is a more noble goal. And if your goal is to, you know, go stealth, then more power to you. If your goal is to be an advocate, then more power to you. You know, thinking of us three doing this podcast, there's probably no way that I'll be able to not be known as a trans person as long as I'm doing this. And I'm Just okay because with that. Yeah. you've got the notoriety of having a podcast run by three trans women. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So while that is... I agree with you on the nobility thing. I agree with you in that the overall goal of this, and I hate to call it a movement because that's the word that they use when they're trying to fuck us over and make us scapegoats, but the overall goal of this community is to normalize the fact that you can live in gender nonconformity and still be in a stable place. Mm -hmm. Um, That kind of outlook is accepted in more liberal, queer, densely populated cities. I have to say, though, that that kind of thing does not fly everywhere. And I want to talk a little bit about, if if you'll let me hear, you mentioned that transsexual as an outdated term and has been replaced with transgender in a lot of cases, there is a movement, at least among the trans women I know down here, to bring back and sort of reclaim the term transsexual to refer specifically to trans people who are transitioning visibly and touch that fire of being judged constantly every single day and have no choice but to go through that fire. Because... I guess the justification for that is that there is a lot of diluting of the word trans when you use it to refer to people who have just thought about gender a little bit and then or people who don't are really do anything. Don't they don't appearance. do anything to be visibly trans or visibly non-binary. And again, you know, that should not be a prerequisite and it is not a prerequisite. But the experience of transitioning trans people, visible transitioning trans people, is very, very different 
and a lot more difficult than those who are either in the closet or are, you know, consider themselves quote unquote trans, but don't do anything to actually experience what that's like. Can I drop a couple of cents in the bucket? Please, of course. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I definitely hear that and I feel that. And it's something that I'm seeing in my area too. Um, not only my area of the internet, but when I actually do go out into the world, <laughs> uh, the real world, um, you know, in Washington, there, there's a little bit of that happening too. And I, I feel like that the, at least part of my encounters with reclaiming that term and starting to reuse that term has been on the grounds of, well, we're starting to be judged by our quote unquote biological sex. And, okay, people are starting, it's not enough to say, okay, you know, gender is a construct for, for some people, uh, because then you've got the um, other folks on the other side saying, well, you can't change your sex. I'm like, motherfucker, watch me. Um, <laughs> and Hell so, yeah. <laughs> in that regard, I am a huge supporter of that. Um, I, I think both terms are um, expressive in their own ways. I think both terms can be inclusive if we if we do it right, and if we're, um, you know, if the community is is open to it, um, but yeah, I can definitely see that being something in less progressive areas that is a, you know, trial by fire of having to walk the walk before you've visibly accomplished your goals of physical and medical transition. Um, I've gone yeah. through that. It sucks. It sucks. Sucks. Still sucks. Still sucks. I. Uh, That's what differentiates true scum people from too cute people. Mm-hmm. When I'm mm-hmm. so at work, I I transition. Find true scum and too cute. Oh, real quick okay. For those people who might know what those terms are. Sure. Um, and this is just based on my rudimentary knowledge from being on Reddit at improper hours of the day. <laughs> um. True scum refers to those who would take more of a trans medicalist standpoint. They say in order to be trans, in order to be considered trans, you do have to have touched the fire. And by the fire, I mean the fire of being visibly trans and going through that physical transition, being perceived as something. Yes. You be perceived as something outside of the binary and see what that feels like. If you believe that that is a requirement for being for calling oneself trans, whether it's transgender or transsexual, I would say that that would be a more true scum standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if the the term true scum is entirely fair just because it's got the word scum in it. I mean, don't call people <laughs> scum no matter who they are unless they're Nazis. Um, and then too cute, which is the polar opposite, I think was, uh, you know, it's kind of got that same nomenclature. Um, shittiness um too cute the the too cute standpoint would be like completely up to self-identification if you believe that gender is uh whatever you're assigned is not necessarily what you uh identify with then just the act of questioning that is enough to make one be able to consider oneself trans that's true scum versus too cute Mm -hmm. We can call it transmedicalist versus um, not transmedicalist. Transinclusive, maybe. Transinclusive, yeah. Trans exclusive. <laughs> trans- this is a transclusive offer. Transclusive. Ooh, tell me more. Ooh. <laughs> um, 
I'm definitely more towards the too cute side of things, but that's mainly because I like the idea of the population of trans people just keeping on going up. And the more people who consider themselves trans, the more people, like, the more likely they'll be to fight for trans rights mm-hmm. and the more likely that their friends will be. And so from my mm-hmm. perspective, I'm like, yeah, let's just call everybody trans. But I also can definitely recognize that the um, experience of being a trans person and being visibly trans and like not feeling good about it and the dysphoria that you have internally from that and then the external dysphoria you have from how badly you get treated or harassed, it's like those are very different experiences. Very, very different experiences. It's a very valid experience to have. And I think that a lot of the like true scum feel, to me it feels like a little bit of, hey, please recognize the struggles that I've had to go through. Please see this. I want to be seen in this way. And well, it's not just, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would say that it's not just recognize the struggles that I have to go through. Exactly. But also make efforts to remedy the struggles. The struggles are not pronouns in bathrooms. Mm-mm. The struggles are access to hormones, access to therapy, um, whether it's mental health or uh, you know physical hormone therapy. Mm-hmm. It's um, struggles are having a sense of safety, growing to safety. like the grocery store. Yes. And when you, when you, the idea is that when you dilute the idea, the experience of being trans down to just feeling like you're trans, a lot of these legitimate struggles get pushed to the wayside. A lot of these like actual safety struggles that, you know, when you talk about a trans genocide, this is what you're actually referring to. You're talking about taking away our access to hormones, which is essentially our access to any kind of quality of life. Um, when you dilute that down to being as important as, you know, um, I don't know, someone at the gas station calling you sir instead of ma'am, like, yeah, that sucks, but that's not immediately going to kill you. You know, that's what the problem is, I think, with being extremely, extremely inclusive. You know, you have to be very careful with what you consider important issues. Can't those, I guess the problem with coming up with those ideas as necessarily like opposing things is... And they're not opposing. Just uh, right. I wanna, uh, maybe opposing isn't quite right, but sorry, my dog is upset about something. Um, the problem with that can be of just like when you when you start excluding people from being trans that feel like they're trans. Like yes, the experiences may be different, but experiences can still be different while under the same umbrella of something. And, there's, and you're right. And there, there's always the worry of ostracizing people from that and not feeling like, oh, maybe I'm not trans enough to be right. included. And there, there's a lot of worry in that. And that's like people are able almost... to do and express the things themselves. But 
I don't know. No, you are it's, totally It's right a very difficult that. line to walk. Especially when you're just starting. Sorry, go ahead, Marcia. Yeah, that's what I was going to say to add on to that. When you're just starting, that's like the imposter syndrome that you get. And Massive. you're always like, am I really trans? As you're like reaching for your medicine, you know, you're... Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had that right. thought. I was like, am I really trans or just faking it? As I'm putting the little blue pills in my heart, right? Absolutely. And I was like, this is a really silly thing to be worried about. But like... That And at that point, I could laugh about it because it's like, yeah, I wouldn't be like having this as a priority every single day. Sure. I wasn't. Sure. But I know like especially for younger people, it can be really, really scary. And you really, are absolutely right. Yeah. And so I feel like if I'm to err, I would rather err on being a little bit more inclusive than I need to be. That's me yes. personally. Yes. I can see that. Yeah. And it's – yeah, that is definitely a – um that is an internal fight that I have a lot too. Um, I was just thinking that when I think back to my early, early, early days of transition, um, looking for any small amount of acceptance, looking for any sign that I was actually trans and not just crazy, um, those little tiny bits of acceptance that I saw all over the internet were the entire world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. And, and yeah, and I think that's continually important in the sense that like, we don't want to frame our transness around the negative parts. We aren't trans because of the negative things that we experience. Those are just the shitty parts of society and the shitty things we have to deal with. But that's not what makes us trans. That's not, yeah. that's not the separation, or at least that's not what I want the separation to be. I'm not trans because of... Because I came out in the South and was called an abomination and all of these things. Like that, that's not what made me that. That certainly helps solidify your idea that you're trans for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Getting called an abomination is definitely part of one of my favorite parts of the trans experience. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. Not the only part, though. Not the most important part. No. <laughs> but it's up there. Sorry, I'm distracted because I don't know where River went and I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Oh, hi. Oh, you're down there. Okay. Sorry. I sat down because I'm, I had surgery back in February and I get, oh, yeah. I get waves of exhaustion. I had bottom surgery and uh, I'm really tired. Also, I'm having a little How bit of an autistic going? shutdown right now. So, Do you have a standing okay. desk otherwise? I, this is my standing desk from my recording studio and cool. uh, my bed's right behind me as I'm sitting on my bed, but I'm also kind of feeling a little wonky oh, hell in yeah. the brain. I so. I hear ya. Yeah. You do you. That is all good. You do you, boo. Um, surgery. That's a thing. Mm -hmm. I've recently uh, been thinking a little bit about that. Oh, what are your thoughts? I don't know. You know, when I started transitioning, um, I thought to myself, I'll never want any surgeries. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't need a surgery in order to be trans. And it's true. You don't need surgeries in order to be trans. But then, like. I don't know. I, I wonder if that will change. I often wonder if that will change. And I'm interested in hearing y'all's experiences with this. Do you want to hear any of mine? By all means. I, I would love to hear more about the experience. Was this something for that you like always three minutes so want? I can run to the bathroom? You go pee. Please. Yes, Marcia. <laughs> okay. Now we can talk about, finally, we can talk about actual stuff. Right. <laughs> Uh, while Marcy's doing that, I need to regulate really quick. Um, Go for it. I'll be right back. Please, by all means. <laughs> so, Celeste. How's it going? Good. You come here often? <laughs> um, 
Occasionally, occasionally. Heck yes. Heck yeah. I'm in the middle of, uh, my roommates are in the middle of moving out. So there's just disaster oh. around me. I'm kind of in like a space above the stairs. Oh, it's cool. not a room. It looks like a room. It's not but a room. This is just a space above the stairs. This, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So soon this will be, I'll be in a bedroom for all of this. Cool. It's, I'm in limbo right now. In the meantime, you're in limbo. Are you going yeah. to be the only person in your house? Do you have all the roommates? Uh, no, out I, um, I live with my wife also. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So. And we're not filling r- other roommate space. So it'll just be the two of us. For Congratulations. A good while. Yeah. Oh. Be nice. Have you done that before? Oh yeah. 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 We lived together for about three years in Tennessee. We had our own house okay. and then we moved up here to Vermont where we're at now. Ooh, so, Vermont. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in, I'm just outside of Burlington. So. Heck yes. I've yeah. heard nothing but wonderful things about Vermont lately. There was. Um, I adore this place so much. What made you I'm go never leaving. Burlington? Why, why Vermont? Um, well, we wanted out of the South because, you know, the I, South. I'm right there. I hear um, you. My. My wife is a school teacher and um, she started having issues from her principal about um, um, needing to maybe not express that she has a wife at home now and like show pictures of me and there was complications. So we're like, we need to get the fuck out of there. Absolutely. That's Garbo. Um, I hate found that. a good job um, in Burlington, and so we came up here. That's and so cool. this place is queer as fuck, and I love it. Oh, honestly, kind of inspiring. My girlfriend yeah. and I are yeah, trying yeah. to kind of do the same thing. Burlington's great. Cool. I'm gonna let her know. <laughs> Burlington and Rochester are both uh, both both on the list right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had had something I was meaning to say, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier with how um, when people have been transing for a while, they tend to either fade into the woodwork or become advocates. I think part of the reason for that is because while the trans experience is like very specifically something like you can trauma bond over really easily, Mm -hmm. a lot of times I think that when you go meet a trans person, you're just really meeting another person. So whether or not you connect with them as a person is just completely random. You're not going to be able to connect with them just because they're trans. That might you're give right. you something interesting to talk about at the start. But, right. you know, the trans community isn't really like it's a community right now because we're all, you know, oppressed, basically. Sure. We're oppressed in the society that we live in. If we lived in a better world, in a world that was more, or in a culture where there was space for that, yeah, I don't think that there would be as much of a need for things like, um, you know, trans women picnic parties. Or, Picnics, right. Uh, You're like absolutely right about that. Gay baseball that we do. We call it gay baseball, but it's probably 80% trans people who show up. You know, oh, cool. Which is really fun. It's trans ball. It's trans ball. That's kind of cool. <laughs> but you're totally right about that. I, you know, I noticed with my little um, group of trans women who I met at this picnic, you know, there were probably, shit, I don't know, 30 or 40 of us that all showed up uh, to the first couple of ones in those first couple of weeks. And like, we all jumped into this Instagram thing. We all jumped into a discord at some point as well. And eventually the whole thing just fell apart because we are all extremely different people who trauma bonded at the very beginning over the fact that we're all trans. 
Um, and then, you know, those, those differences start showing up and you start realizing like, oh, I don't necessarily like these people or get along with these people just because I'm trans. We're all extremely different people. And, you know, that also made a lot of them, now that I think about it, kind of disappear from social media altogether. Yeah. Which is, you know, I, I get it. I completely relate to that sometimes. Um, but then, you know, Celeste, like you were saying, like, you want to be the person who you needed early on in the in the experience, early on in the transition. You want to be that for other people. So you always end up going back to social media and going back to the inspiring the inspiring posts and things like that. And you go back to making a podcast by trans people <laughs> for trans people. And like that kind of thing is, I don't know, maybe it just becomes a cycle that keeps on happening over and over and over again until you get sick of it and disappear. Trans people is one thing, but I've also noticed that it's a lot easier for me to just bond normally with, like, queer people, and especially other lesbians. Like, it's just, like, really, there seems to be more of an overlap there than necessarily yeah. from the trans experience. Yeah. Which is interesting. I understand like, that. I know some, like, really straight trans girls who yeah. are really... Mm -hmm. Super straight. Super straight. <laughs> Super straight. And there's just kind of like, yeah. I don't really relate with you, girl. There's a lot of disconnect. Like, okay, uh -huh. I'm glad you like I that. that but too. Like, okay. Yes. You do you, boo. Yeah. And like you know, they're they're totally valid as well. But you know, it's if you can't relate to it, mm -hmm. those differences become extremely clear extremely quickly. Yeah. And it's not like we have sure. to get along with everybody. We can support everybody mm. without having to be like buddy buddy with everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Did y'all ever watch um Veneno on HBO? The what? Oh. Okay, so there's this show that came out um somewhat recently, and now they're doing a sequel to it called uh Vestida en Azul. I think, okay. but um, Veneno was the name of the original show. It was a series on HBO that followed Cristina Ortiz, who was a trans woman in the 70s, 80s, and 90s in Spain. Um, she was like one of the very, very first international trans icons, um, and she, she I think pretty sure she passed away which is terribly tragic but that whole series called veneno shows the story of her transition and her life as a tv icon like one of the very first international trans icons um i can't remember what got me on that in the first place but that is something that all of us in our little um in our little group down here in atlanta bonded over we would get together every week and watch the latest episode of Veneno on Aww, HBO. So highly recommended, please. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful show. It blew my mind. Um, I still haven't finished it and I need to. I'll definitely keep that in mind. Please do, Veneno. I love it. Thank you for listening to part one of our interview with Robin Shakedown. Stay tuned in two weeks to hear part two. We will trans spot you later. We need a better tagline than that. <laughs>